0: Blob Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: And welcome to Trendlebed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trendlebed Tales. Find us around the web under Trendlebed Tales and and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps new people find the show. And tonight we are going to do episode 82 of of, Trundle Bed Tales, where we are going to talk with Linda Halpin about quilt detecting and Laura Ingalls Wilder. But before we do that, we've got just a little bit of housekeeping. And I would encourage you that if anybody has missed the last few episodes, that this would be a great time to go ahead and to go back and check the archive. Last week's was uh, was uh, interviewing Johnny Miller, and we had the Laura Ingalls Wilder um, uh, birthday party at the beginning of the month. And last month we were looking ahead in Laura Ingalls Wilder fandom, which I actually. Did find out just today that the um, uh, Henry Ford Museum is going to be putting their uh, Little House show back in action this summer. So I'm trying to get a few more details, and then I'll be pre- uh, putting out about that. And I want, as always, I like to get sure that people have uh, have a way to reach into the show if you can. So you can call in at 714-253 that's 714-242-5253 or toll free 1-877-633-9389 that is toll free 1-877-633-9389 now normally i would tell you that uh, you could chat in but it looks like the chat room is deciding not to operate tonight because that's the kind of month it's been (laughs) but uh, that's okay if you have anything that uh, you want to share you can also tweet me at trundlebed Tales because I'm in there right now and we will call that Uh, good for the moment. With the phone numbers, you can both call in to ask questions. You can also just stream it live while we're on if you're not by a computer. And uh, you can also later, uh, besides streaming it live, you can listen to the download archive on uh, Blog Talk Radio. And you can also catch it through iTunes where you can download it for free. Now we have a very strong indication that this month uh, in March, we're going to be able to have uh, someone talking about maple syrup that I'm really looking forward to. And I think we don't have a confirmation yet, but I think we'll be, going to be talking about the Laura Ingalls Wilder conference coming up in April. So watch for future dates and uh I think for right now, that is all our housekeeping. And we've got, as our guest tonight, Linda Halpin, who's been on our show before to talk about the history of quilts, which was just great, but we're going to be a little bit more specific tonight. Welcome to the show again, Linda. Hi, Sarah. It's fun to be back. Now, for anybody who um, missed the last time you were on, do you want to give just a little bit of intro about yourself? Sure. Um,
0: I've been fortunate enough to be able to do something I really love, and that's teach quilting. Um, I've been doing that for over 40 years now, and I teach for quilt guilds and shops and conferences all over the country. Um mm-hmm. I do classes as well as lectures in a variety of topics, and the one that we'll be talking about tonight is my connection with Laura Ingalls
1: Wilder and how she relates to quilts. So we're going to, I know there's probably a lot of people listening that know a lot about quilts, but for the couple of people who are still listening that uh, don't know that much, let's just kind of go over a few basics really quick. Uh, What is a quilt? Um, what isn't uh, so? What isn't a quilt if it's bed clothes? Well, quilts are actually
0: sometimes described as a textile sandwich. They're usually made up of three layers, uh, the top layer being the layer that is decorated, that has the pattern to it, and that can either be patchwork, which means little pieces of fabric that have been cut up and then stitched back together to form a design. Or they can be appliqued, where you cut out a shape and stitch it on top of another fabric, um, like a flower shape or a leaf, for example, so you get more pictorial sorts of designs. Um, The middle layer of the quilt is what gives it its thickness and its warmth, and that can be a layer of cotton or a layer of wool, for example. That's what makes it thick and fluffy. And then the back layer um, is the back side of the quilt, and those three layers are attached together, and that's what um, is known as a quilt. They differ from things like afghans, which can be knitted or crocheted, and they're just a single layer of a textile that's made out of yarn. But usually quilts are made out of fabric, and as I said, they're the three layers.
1: So what's the difference between a quilted quilt and a tied quilt? And I must admit, I am a tied quilt person just because it's always so depressing for me to think about going back and re-sewing right over what I thought. <laughs> <finished sewing. But
0: laughs> well, that's go a good question. Okay. Um, the the tying or the quilting refers to how those three layers of the quilt sandwich are held together. A tied quilt is one where there's a series of knots that are uh, placed that are scattered over the surface of the quilt, and they go through all three layers, and that's what holds the quilt together and that's the fastest way to um, to join the three layers together. A quilted quilt is one that is stitched through the three layers, and that can either be by hand or by machine, and that forms a secondary design over the whole quilt if you think of um, a mattress pad for example that's
1: quilted it's not very artistic but that's quilted it's it's layers that are stitched together and that of course uh, in quilts that are for use keeps the uh, fillings moving very much so for example if, if you have something looser in there it won't all run to the bottom right right the
0: Um, Antique quilts, if if you're familiar with um, antique quilts and have seen quilts that have a lot of dense quilting on them, it's not so much because people just loved quilting. It was because they needed to do that much quilting in order to hold the batting in place. Because if they didn't, as you said, the batting would all lump up. Um, it would separate inside the quilt and, and fall apart, and then you wouldn't have a very warm quilt. So
1: the tying or the quilting is what helps stabilize everything and, and keeps it intact. Yes, our family, we've got lots of quilts handed down in the family, but they are all very uh, for use. <laughs> so right, exactly. I, yeah. So um, how long have quilts been around?
0: Well, there's evidence of hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, The earliest known quilt was dated at about 1380, I believe. Um, Quilted clothing has been around even longer than that. Um, Anytime you can take three layers and and bind them together, they're going to provide much more warmth than just a single layer. So quilting itself
1: has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And how were quilts used in the 19th century? Well,
0: that would be the time period when Laura was born, who was the prime topic of our talk tonight. Um, And quilts you find in that time period had a multitude of uses. They could, of course, be used for bed coverings, but they were also used to hang over windows or over doorways to keep out drafts or in something like... um, a one-room cabin. They might be hung from a rope so that they could um, provide privacy. They could divide that big space into smaller spaces. Uh, they could be used to wrap up furnishings when when people were moving to keep them from getting damaged. So quilts really have had a lot of different uses over the years,
1: not just as bed coverings. And uh it would be kind of important for especially pioneers to have a lot of quilts because they did answer so many different purposes.
0: Well, in addition to all the different ways they could use them, something that I hadn't thought about until I started getting into quilt history, but during the um, 1800s, for example, in the winter, a warm home might only be 55 degrees. And so they needed a lot of quilts just for survival, just to keep warm. Uh, so you would find that they had many, many quilts piled up on their beds just to make it
1: through the night. And um, what uh, to go back to what I said before about my family's quilts being for use, they a lot of times would be uh, reusing of cloth too, which was part of that pioneer idea that you needed to reuse things up. You had to give it a new life, and quilts were one way to do that
0: absolutely sometimes you see in antique quilts um if you start looking at them closely some of them had old quilts inside of a newer quilt and they used the old quilt as the batting the filler so so quilts got not only did fabric get reused to make into quilts but sometimes quilts got reused into another purpose
1: Yes, and it's it's just all about that idea of, you know, reuse and getting as much as you can out of something because you don't have a lot. But, oh, go on.
0: Well, I was going to say, when I first got into quilting, that idea of making use of every little thing uh, really appealed to me. And now I have to kind of laugh because very seldom do I take apart old clothing, for example, and use it in quilts. I'm all about going to a quilt store and buying new
1: fabric and making it into a quilt. So the way quilts are made have changed over the years, to be sure. They have. And that was actually one of the very first quilts I made was uh, from my great grandmother's dresses. When we cleaned out her house, she had a lot of um, well, they, they were as much house coats as anything else. So uh, I took those. Nobody else wanted them, and I sewed those into making a quilt. And so it always made me remember her. And I just, um, I think that is a great thing about that kind of quilt.
0: Oh, what a wonderful
1: keepsake. Uh, and but um, that's as you say. There's another side to quilts, and that was true even in the 19th century when you have things like, you know, the crazy quilts when it was really elaborate things. Um, kind of showing off that it wasn't necessarily just scraps, but it was that that kind of showing off idea even then.
0: One of the fun things about crazy quilts is you'll find in magazines from the time period, there were ads from dress factories where you could buy a bag of scraps of leftover pieces from the dress factory of silks and satins and velvets and things like that, that you could use to make crazy quilts.
1: Oh, so that you didn't, would be such fun.
0: Wouldn't it? You, you don't have to necessarily be using your own scraps. You could buy bundles of scraps from,
1: from factories and use those to make your treasures. I remember I was demonstrating quilting at Usher's Ferry one time and, um, a lady came up and asked about where I'd gotten my material, and uh, I must have looked at her like she was crazy, and I said, from my grandmother's fabric box, because I, just, I thought, you know, doesn't everybody have, you know, a box the size of a bed that fits under it that's full of fabric? I mean, I what do you do if you don't buy <laughs> fabric? I mean, that's how the, the world works. But I know. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So um, since we're kind of talking about design, the design of most quilts is a quilt pattern. So what exactly is a quilt pattern?
0: Well, a quilt pattern can refer to two different things. Um, It could refer to the design that – is exhibited on the quilt top itself. It could be made up, for example, of lots of little squares that are sewn together, or lots of little triangles that are sewn together to make a pattern. Um, quilt pattern can also refer to the directions of how to actually construct the design. So it it has kind of a twofold meaning. Back when Laura was a child and learning how to quilt, uh, quilt patterns quilt designs were just referred to as patchwork. They didn't have specific pattern names like they do now. It wasn't until the late 1880s when the ladies' art company uh, became a mail-order catalog and they wanted to sell quilting patterns that they started to name them so that it was a marketing tool. Um, prior to that, as I said, it was just called called patchwork, and when you saw designs in magazines of the day. They were just referred to as patchwork and it would just be a drawing of what the quilt block would look like. There wouldn't be any directions. People knew how to sew and how to construct quilt designs so they didn't need directions. It's kind of like if you look at really old cookbooks. You'll find that recipes were simply a list of ingredients. They didn't tell you that you first had to sift together all the dry ingredients and then mix together all the wet ingredients and then add it gradually in this order. um people just knew how to do that, and that's how it was with patchwork too. People just knew how to do it, so they didn't have um written patterns uh when Laura was learning to quilt
1: so it was it was you, you do see that an awful lot the assumption of a strong base level of of knowledge, um, it always kind of reminds me of there was a, a series of uh, children's encyclopedias that our local uh, grocery store did when I was a kid, and my uh, grandmother got me these, these encyclopedias, but we'd missed book one. And every other book in that series would have a cookie recipe, and they would all start out start with the cookie recipe in volume one. Oh, no. <laughs> and then add this or take that out or whatever. And it, it, that kind of reminds me of it. And I assume, I, I mean, I i don't know if everybody would know how to do it exactly, but you would either figure it out or they didn't really care. Right,
0: right. Oh, that's
1: cruel. Did you ever find volume one? Actually, I did. I uh, found it at a garage sale many years later. <laughs> Oh, good. And I have it photograph or photocopied and stuck the cookie recipe stuck various places, so if it ever
2: <laughs> missing again, well, oh, good.
1: Stupid. You know, I don't think, I don't know that I ever made an actual cookie out of it, but it was just for so long it was just gnashing my teeth. Right, it's it. just the idea that you, you yeah. couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so. Oh, um, so you you'd mentioned that uh, there were a lot of patterns that were just kind of things people knew, and then in the women's magazines they started showing drawings, um, and uh, I assume there was a lot of people just talking back and forth too, kind of patterns taking a hit and moving through areas.
0: Yeah, um one of the ways that patterns spread from place to place was when women exhibited their quilts in the local fair. Um fairgoers would see a design that might, they might like and they would sketch it down and take it back to ho- their home and and recreate the design in their area and so patterns spread that way from um from area to area. They were as I said in the magazines um much later on in the oh during the depression era they were in newspapers it was a very popular column for newspapers to run quilting patterns it really boosted their subscription rate because women just loved collecting these patterns um and of course people would in writing letters to other family members they would share snippets of fabric with each other and and sketches of different designs they were working on. So it was kind of a word-of-mouth sort of thing for patterns to spread um, prior to that mail-order catalog um,
1: event that happened in the late 1880s. And uh, you do hear about, in books and things, too, they talked about, uh, you, you hear people talking about oh, and I, you know, wrote them their design for this or their sketch for that, and and that really was going on. People were sending patterns, but oh,
0: it was kind of like the Facebook of the day. You know, people would spread yeah. word uh, with each other for for different designs that they were fond of.
1: And talking about books brings us back to. Uh, sort of where we were heading tonight. Uh, tell us a little bit about quilts in the Little House books. Um, ha- how were they used? Are they mentioned a lot? And yes, I know most of the audience knows this, but go ahead and, and tell us about it.
0: <laughs> well, I first—I um, remember when I first read the books as a child. Uh, Laura talking about quilts, and that seemed like a really romantic thing to me of, of being able to to make do. Um, and make good use out of everything they had available to them. Um, It was when I started researching uh, to write the book that I did that's called Quilting with Laura, that I went through all of her books and made note of all the times that she either mentioned quilting or sewing or fabrics, anything textile related, and found that she talked about them over 70 times. So it really helped to reinforce to me the idea that it was part of her everyday life and it was a big part of her life. Um, they, they had to sew to get the household goods that they needed, whether it was clothing, um, the window curtains, the dish towels, the sheets, you know, anything out of fabric they had to make from scratch. So sewing was, was a skill that she had to have. Now sometimes when she talked about quilting, she just talked about patchwork. Um, She didn't refer to the blocks by name, although there are three names that she does mention in the books. One of them is the nine-patch pattern, one is the bear's paw, and one is doves in the window. Now, at the time she made those patterns, they weren't referred to by name. But when she wrote the books um, in the 1930s, she was looking back on her life and trying to describe what she had done as a child. And so she applied the names that she knew from the 1930s to things that she had done as a child in the 1880s.
1: And uh, the nine-block square is a uh, fairly well-known pattern. That's one of the the basic patterns of quilting, correct? It is. A nine-patch, if you think of a
0: tic-tac-toe board, that's a square that's divided into... Um, three rows across and three rows down. So it makes nine individual segments. Um, that's the basic skeleton, if you will, for a lot of different quilt designs. And because of the simplicity of it, it's often the pattern that, um, that youngsters started with when they were learning patchwork because it was easy to take squares and line them up on the edges and sew them together in straight lines and, and make um, little blocks.
1: That would go and, together. And even though it seems like it would be sort of a, a simple thing, thinking about it as a tic-tac-toe board, it really, um, both um, both that and log cabin quilts can get immensely complicated the way they divide the um, pieces into darks and lights and how they arrange them to make a bigger pattern using that same basic block, it is really very impressive, all the variations that they can take on it.
0: There are thousands of variations that you can do just to that simple um, outline if you subdivide those nine squares into smaller shapes like triangles, for example, or rectangles. Um, and sew the little pieces together to make the nine individual squares, and then sew those squares together to make the nine patch, there are tons of different designs that you can get that still fall into that nine patch category. And I think that's one of the things that keeps quilters so interested in quilting. You're not doing the same thing over and over again. There's so much chance for variation.
1: Yeah. it really is amazing to see all the different things people can make out of those basic patterns. And uh, the, the bear's paw, that, that was a fairly established pattern too, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's one that uh, combines triangles that are a couple of different sizes and squares that are different sizes. And when they're all put together, it actually does resemble a bear print, a paw print. Um, not all patterns looked like what the name suggested, but Bear's Paw is one that does resemble um, a paw print on the ground, and it, and it was
1: a popular one. And that brings us to the third. Now, as much as I talk about quilting, I thought one time that it would be cool to go to get, go to, and put together a program that would show all of uh, the... The different patterns that Laura talked about and kind of tell a story off of that but there really were only this three and the third one we didn't know much about and that was Doves in the Window so where is that mentioned in the books? Um, she mentions Doves in the Window in
0: these happy golden years it's, it's what she talks about as her wedding quilt and It's one that, there are a couple different patterns. Let me back up a little. There are a couple of different patterns that are known as doves in the window, different variations, and nobody knows just which one Laura made for her wedding quilt because after they had been married a short time, their house tragically burned to the ground and they lost everything, including that quilt. So there's no actual quilt of Laura's that we can point to and say, oh, this was her wedding quilt. This was the pattern that she used. So the only things that um, researchers had to go by were some of the descriptions that she used throughout the stories when she talks about um, working on her quilts. And in... um, the, on the banks of plum creek she talks about working on a block that was really difficult and it had lots of biased stretchy edges and ma kept making her take it out and do it over and over again until she got it right and while that was frustrating to her she also took great pride in eventually getting the blocks right so when i was um doing my book, Quilting with Laura, I wanted to gather not only the three patterns that she talked about, but other patterns um, that the name of the pattern represented different adventures that Laura had throughout her stories. And with Doves in the Window, the pattern that I chose to represent that was a version of that block that is made up almost entirely of diamonds. So all of the edges of the pieces are stretchy. And they're very difficult to put together unless you um, are extremely accurate in your cutting and in your piecing. And I was pretty confident that that was probably
1: the version of Doves in the Window that she had done.
2: Now, Now, let's,
1: let's pause there just a minute and back up a little thing, because there may be people out there today who had gone to Mansfield in the 80s like I did where they sold a doves-in-the-window pattern. But uh, that was not what you're talking about, right? That was not. The the
0: pattern, I believe, that they sold is actually one that is a variation on the bear's paw. It has the same components as the bear's paw, except the triangles are turned so that they're in a different orientation. And that's another version of doves-in-the-window. And many people thought that that was the version that she made, because she also talked about bear's paw uh, in the in one of the books. And so they thought, well, maybe that was the version of Doves in the Window. Um, but when I was doing research for the talk I gave at Laura Palooza, which is the conference for all things Laura, um, I did a presentation there a couple of years ago about Laura and quilting. And I continued to, to look to see if I could find more evidence of what that doves in the window might have looked like. And I had been to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Park and Museum in Burr Oak, Iowa, where they have a quilt block that Laura made that is framed. It's just one single block. And it doesn't it doesn't quite lie flat. It's a really odd pattern in that I've never seen it made up in an entire quilt. Um, It has a lot of diamonds in it and a lot of bias edges. and, And I took a picture of it because it was so unusual. And when I was researching through some of my old quilt books, I found in a book by Ruth Finley from 1929 a drawing of a block called Doves in the Window. And it was made up of diamonds and looked very much like the Burr oak block. So I got very excited that maybe this was the Doves in the Window pattern. That Laura had done. So I drafted the pattern and I tried to construct it the way that the burr oak block was made. And one of the things about that block is there are several diamonds that are sewn together to make an octagonal shape that's in the center of the block. And when I tried to put it together the way the burr oak block was, it didn't quite fit. The block didn't lay flat. And I discovered that that octagon was not equilateral. The the eight sides were not of equal length. If I took that octagon and turned it one one turn and reoriented the way those diamonds laid, it laid perfectly. The block laid flat. Everything fit together. And I I really think that the bur oak block was Laura's attempt um, to recreate. The Doves in the Window, that she had made as a youngster. The Burrow Block was made probably in the 1940s, possibly the 1950s, judging by the fabrics that are in it. So it was many years after she made the original quilt. And I think she was trying to recreate it from memory, got it almost right, but not quite, and gave up. So that that's my theory on... Uh, what I think her doves-in-the-window was. And I sent my research to Burr Oak, and they have since relabeled that block as Laura's dove-in-the-window block.
1: That is just so amazing that you were able to, to track that down and piece it together because, really, that is uh, you know, such a thing that people have been trying to figure out for such a long time, and it is so great uh, that the Laura Angles Wilder Park Museum in Baroque has it, because they are one of the smaller sites, and I think that uh, people out there who maybe hadn't thought that maybe that uh, Baroque was worth a visit, maybe now to be able to see this original quilt pattern, of uh, a pattern that was mentioned in the book. And if anybody out there is thinking about that, I would strongly recommend that you go uh, on the weekend of Laura Days in Pepin because then they also have a strong quilts program at the log cabin, uh, the replicate log cabin of the birthplace up there. And it would be a nice little quilt-themed uh, weekend for you to go and do Laura and Quilts and just wallow in it.
0: They do both of those sites do have wonderful Laura programs, and they're not that far from each other it's it's would be an easy drive to do both of them um in the same day you know if you didn't have a lot of time to spend one of the things about the burr oak block they it's my understanding that they uh came into possession of that block because the museum in Mansfield gave it to them when they started up. they said, "Oh, here, here's just a single block." You know, we don't want it. You guys might as well have it. You know, and so you you kind of wonder how many other things that are maybe in different collections that people don't realize what they are, but thank goodness they've been saved for for Laura fans
1: like us to enjoy. It is interesting how things kind of got scattered around. And um, as is often the case uh, with museums, Unfortunately, things get mislabeled and misunderstood what they are, so it definitely is wonderful that you could put it back in context like that. Yeah,
0: well, I'm still doing research and still trying to find um, perhaps a a written or a a drawn sketch like in the the Ruth Finley book. That was from 1929, which would have been way after when Laura made her block, her, her original wedding quilt. I'm still looking to see if I can find a printed source more from the time period where she made her wedding quilt uh, that could be where she may have seen the design. Um, And I haven't found it yet, but I'm still looking. There's a wonderful author out there, Kathleen Ernst, who um, writes historical mystery novels. And she has a great series uh, with a character called Chloe Ellison, who is a curator at Old World Wisconsin, and one of the stories, Chloe is given a quilt supposedly made by Laura Ingalls Wilder, and she goes off on this adventure visiting all the Laura sites to try to document if the quilt um, was really made by Laura or not. And when Kathleen contacted me and told me about her project, I shared with her what I had found about the Doves in the window block, and my research made its way into her storyline, which is great fun. Um, it becomes part of the mystery, and I've actually uh, written a couple of articles for Kathleen, for her uh, blog that she has called Sites and Stories. Um, and the the blog she posted today is about what we were just talking about, the doves in the window block, and uh, what it. What the Baroque block looks like, and what the Ruth Finley block looks like, and what the uh, the Bear's Paw variation looks like, and so if people want to check out that uh, website, uh, there's some great pictures of the quilt blocks, so they can actually see what they look like and um, and get more of an idea of of the designs and and how they're similar and how they're different. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a presentation at Laura Palooza uh, this summer in July. Um, Laura Palooza, I know you've mentioned a couple of times um, in your past programs, is the conference where there are presenters doing research on different things related to Laura or different family members, Laura's family members. And I'll be doing a presentation there about the the doves-in-the-window pattern. And workshop participants will learn how to draft the design from scratch, as Laura did, because there weren't printed patterns and
1: printed directions. So I'm very excited about that. Well, that does really sound like an incredible thing to get to do. Uh, Do you think that's... um do you think there are going to be other opportunities if people want to get a chance to uh, learn how to draft this uh, quilt block from you? I'm in the process of um, writing
0: it up as a standalone pattern that people can order so that they can learn how to draft the design themselves and make it. And I do also do a full-day workshop where participants not only – draft the design themselves from scratch, but also learn the construction technique and and start the construction of it. Um, So far this year, I'm scheduled to do that in the fall in Green Bay, Wisconsin, for people that are in uh, the northeast Wisconsin area. Um, But it will be posted on my website when I uh,
1: have the pattern printed and available. Well, that is great. You should put me down on the list. I am definitely going to want one of those. Okay,
0: I will do that. <laughs> For those that may have missed the um, the talk that I did at Laura Palooza a couple of years ago about Laura and quilts in her life, I will be doing it in several different locations this year, this being the 150th anniversary of Laura's birth. There are a lot of special Laura programs throughout the country. And I've got several uh, places where I'll be doing that talk. One of them will actually be in Gainesville, Missouri, which is not very far from Springfield, where Laura Palooza will be taking place. I'll be doing uh, my Quilting with Laura talk the day before Laura Palooza starts, and then heading up to Springfield to do my presentation there, going back to Gainesville to do a quilting workshop. After Laura Palooza, so there's there's different opportunities for people um to hear about Laura and her quilts and to see examples of quilting. There's a fun trunk show that I do along with that presentation that shows quilts from all different time periods, so anyone
1: who loves quilts, I think would enjoy that presentation. Well, it really is amazing. I think that it is well worth anybody's time if if you get a a chance to go to it. And we did do a podcast that covered some of those same things, though it's a lot easier when you can actually see the quilts. Uh, But I will also, when I do the write-up of this podcast, I will put a link to that one in as well, because uh, it is very interesting once you start digging into some of the stuff a little bit. Um,
0: Now, something else that that your audience might enjoy, if they are Laura fans uh, and they
1: don't know about
0: this already, last year, Andover Fabrics, which is a fabric manufacturer um, operating out of New York City, came out with three lines of fabric, um, over 50 different bolts of fabric, different patterns that were inspired by Little House on the Prairie, and That was in the fall of 2015, and then in the fall of 2016, they came out with a fourth line of fabrics, and each one focuses on a different time period in Laura's life or a different um, location. Um, The one that came out in 2016 focuses on what fabrics looked like during the early years when Laura moved to Mansfield, Missouri. For example, one of the lines of fabric is reproduction of the types of fabrics that were used for the costumes in the television show Little House on the Prairie. Uh, so there's, there's over 70 different fabrics that are available in quilt shops all over the country uh, that are Little House-themed. So if you do want to make a quilt that is your own little house adventure, there's some terrific fabric out there to do it with. I had the good fortune of being invited by Andover to make sample quilts for them for their booth at Quilt Market, which is the trade show where they debuted the fabrics for the last two years. So uh, that was great fun
1: for me to be able to work with those fabrics uh, before they had even hit the stores. And they're very interesting fabrics, especially, you know, there's some that besides being kind of replicas of what there would have been, there's also ones with, you know, little house and pictures of log cabins and little girls with sun bonnets. And so there's a whole different range of things. And you've done a couple blog posts about that on the Little House in the Prairie uh, website. Yes, I have. Um, and if people don't know about that website, it's
0: it's a wonderful website that is put on by uh, the people that are involved in the television show, which I don't think has gone off the air since it originally started in the 70s. Um, it's shown in reruns all over the world even today, and they've done a wonderful job of putting together a website that has lots of different um, almost study study guide things. So if you Want to do some cooking projects that are tied to Little House? There's suggestions there on how to do it. If you want to do um, other crafting sorts of things, they have information for, there, for you to follow. Um, so it, it's a great resource, um, not only for Little House fans, but for people who are doing homeschooling who want to tie history in with literature. Um, it's, it's a great resource.
1: It really is, and there's articles by you and me there, so everybody yeah. got to go and look at them right now. They should.
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, while we're talking about things you've produced, uh, you mentioned before that you had gotten started on this doing a, a Laura book and that you were working on you know, doing a standalone for Doves in the Window, but uh, you did complete that Laura book, right? Yes, I did. That book... I was actually um, inspired to do
0: the Quilting with Laura book many years ago when I was teaching a workshop, and uh, a young mother came into the store where I was teaching and asked if there was a group of patterns that she could buy that were related to Little House on the Prairie because she wanted to teach her daughter how to quilt, and those were her daughter's favorite books, and she thought it would be a great way to teach her daughter how to quilt. Uh, by tying in with the stories that she already had a love for. And I thought, what a good idea. Somebody should write that book. And so that's what started me on doing that. And Quilting with Laura is a collection of 14 patterns. Um, It includes the nine patch and the bear's paw and the doves in the window that we talked about. But there's also other patterns that the name of the pattern just helps to tell some of Laura's story, like the schoolhouse block, because she came, became a school teacher at such an early age, and the log cabin block, because they lived in a log cabin, and the snowball block, because I remember when the girls were little and they slept in the attic loft, they would wake up in the morning and sometimes there would be snow on top of their quilt that had sifted in through the, flo- the boards in the, the roof. Um, so there's there's lots of there are 14 different patterns that help to tell her story. So in that book you can pick and choose which patterns you like and make your own sampler quilt, um, your own arrangement of story blocks. Um, and and that book is written with directions for how to do everything by hand, which is how Laura would have done it. Um, with the quilts that I made for Andover Fabrics, I rewrote a pattern specifically as a sampler quilt telling how to do a collection of nine different blocks but how to do them by machine which is the way a lot of today's quilters prefer to construct their quilt blocks so people have a choice of either doing them by hand or by machine and, and there are, I have patterns available for both, um,
1: both techniques so the, the- I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow that. So, did the the books or the additions of the book coming out now with both, or are they get are you getting the modern directions someplace else?
0: The modern directions is in a pattern uh, booklet that I put out called Little House Sampler, and okay. that that has nine different patterns with um, the machine sewing techniques. So people have the option of either doing the the book that has the hand techniques or the pattern pamphlet that has the machine sewing techniques. And both of those are available on my website, um, which is www.lindahelpen.com. And when I
1: get the Dubs in the Window pattern done, that will be on that website as well. And you also have a Facebook page. Where else can they find you around the web? Primarily,
0: um, I I pass along my information through my website. I have a newsletter section on there. Um, There are the blogs that I've written for Kathleen Ernst uh, that I talked about a little earlier, as well as the Little House on the Prairie website. Um, My website has a newsletter with what I'll be teaching where all over the country, as well as um, a tab that has my schedule of what I'm doing, where, um, what books and patterns I've written. So, the, you know, from that site, there are links to lots of other places to find either me or my patterns or information about my workshops.
1: Okay, so what if somebody is just utterly excited about having you come? How could or how what steps they have to take to get you to book in near them? I would suggest that they go to the website.
0: There's a link on there that will get you directly to my email. Um, I offer over 60 different workshops and lectures in a wide variety of quilt making techniques. And on the website, there are pictures and descriptions of all of those different programs. And the first step is just to to drop me an email and let me know um, what kind of time frame you're looking at, where you're located, what sort of program you want. Do you want um, a, a lecture? Do you want a half-day workshop, a full-day workshop, um, a two-day workshop? What kinds of of things are you interested in? And then from there, we'll talk about availability and scheduling and
1: see what we can work out. Okay. Let's... Um... We've got a a few minutes here before uh, we're running out of time. So why don't you tell us how you started getting interested in Laura in the first place? I can vividly remember when I read
0: the books um, as a child, um, I remember her talking about doves in the window because I wondered what that pattern looked like. Laura had such a way of painting pictures with her words and, and bringing everything to life. And and the, that name just fascinated me. I just wondered what that was like. And when I first started quilting um, years later, I spent a lot of time looking for that pattern to see what it looked like. And so I think it's kind of funny that now all these years later, um, so much of my life has focused on on that pattern. Um, but I, I was just fascinated with the whole Laura adventure uh, when I was a child. And I think it's so terrific that that even today, all these years after Laura wrote the stories, it's part of the fourth grade curriculum, at least here in Wisconsin, and I know it was when I lived in New York State, too, the Little House books were part of the fourth grade history curriculum because they helped to tell history in a very real personal way. They brought it to life the way just regular history textbooks didn't seem to do. And then years later, when the television show started, that brought things to life in a new way. And of course, the television show isn't 100% 100% accurate as as an autobiography kind of thing about Laura, but it it helped to spread that feeling that um, the family connection that was so important to the Ingalls and and the values that were so important um, of of looking out for one another and and making a good life for themselves, you know, no matter what the hardships were, and and so I think the whole Laura thing has has touched a lot of
1: people and continues to do so today it really does, and I think that it is so great that you're going out and teaching this stuff because one of the things that i i really I, I really kind of makes me concerned not just for the books in particular but kind of the culture in general is you know if you read in in laura 's books and this is my standard example, so some of you listening probably have heard me say this before, but Laura describes a spider as a frying pan with legs. Well that's a great description, but only if you know what a frying pan is. And so (laughs) many so many kids today, I mean, think about it. Do they see their parents frying bacon in a pan or, you know, whatever? It's just not something that I think a lot of people experience and there's so many things like that in the books. So to be getting out there and showing people, you know, what the words mean, that the words have meaning, and this is what they are talking about is I think one of the best things you can do, not just to keep the books alive, but because this is such a massive part of our culture that just seems to be being forgotten. Um, I mean, I run into people you know, even who live here in Iowa and genuinely think food comes from the supermarket, it's just it's so good that you're out kind of telling people that this is what how you do stuff. Well, and you know, I
0: think when you read about Laura and why she started telling the stories, um, she was in her 60s when she started writing these books, and she started writing them because she realized that, the way she grew up was a disappearing lifestyle, and she didn't want people to forget. She wanted people to know um, how she had lived. Um, if you think about all of the changes that she saw in her lifetime, you know, the automobile, the airplane, um, computers weren't even on the scene when when Laura was around. I think of what she would would do with that information today, um, but unless we tell the stories. And pass them on. It it I think knowing them just helps make everything else much richer. It gives you a much better appreciation of where we are now to know where it all started.
1: Yes, definitely. And uh, just let uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Was there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about that we've skipped so far? We've covered a lot of territory tonight, <laughs> um, I, and I,
0: I think shows like this are again a wonderful way to, to spread the word about um, different aspects of, of, in this case, Laura Ingalls Wilder. It's not just her books, and um, you know, there's there's so many other. Things that you can tie in with it with the fabric or classes or lectures or workshops or conferences like Laura Palooza um just great ways of sharing with with people, and you never know what kind of connections you're gonna make because
1: of it that is certainly true, and yeah, it always seems people always tell me that uh. They think an hour is too long, but people who've actually been on the show always say say that, wow, where did the time go?
0: I know, it goes so quickly.
1: (laughs) But we did cover a lot tonight, and uh, I'm just so pleased that you could come on and talk to us about quilts, and that uh, I'm sure everybody is going to be uh, waiting for the Doves in the Window pattern to come out, and do you want to tell them the names of your books again? Sure. The ones that um, are Laura-related are Quilting with Laura,
0: Patterns Inspired by the Little House on the Prairie series. Uh, then there is the Little House Sampler, um, which is a, a kind of a condensed version that has nine blocks in it, and that's uh, with machine sewing techniques. Um The Doves in the Window pattern will be coming soon. And the lecture that I do is called Quilting with Laura, and it's a trunk show as well as a lecture that talks about what quilting was like uh, when Laura was growing up, what quilts looked like and how the styles of quilts changed um, and how quilting affected her life and played a big part in it. So I hope people will um, look, on the website for the schedule of the different places that I'll be. Um, I do travel all over the country uh, teaching and doing my workshops, and, and I would just love to be able to
1: share the quilts and the stories with your listeners. And the books are for sale. You can get them uh, at the Laura Engels Wilder home sites, which is always the best way to do it, because profits from those keep the sites alive. But you also... Actually, I didn't look, but I assume they're on Amazon?
0: I'm not on Amazon. I do oh. them, as you said, through the different Laura um, historical sites, um, and as well
1: as on my website. See, that's what I get for not checking. Um, <laughs> okay, so you, it's best to get them through the home site. You can also get them directly from Linda. And your uh, website address, again, is? www.linda.com. Helpen, that's H-A-L-P-I-N dot com. Okay, and I'm going to take the last couple minutes, and I may have told you this before. I have a limited store of quilt stories, I guess. But I will tell you, to, just to end it up, that what my dream is, is to someday have an autograph album quilt done, an autograph quilt. And you're supposed to have people make that for you, as sort of a keepsake, so I keep trying to talk someone into making one for me.
0: Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> Which... We'll have to talk, Sarah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I just think that would be so awesome to, to do that. When I, um, again, when I worked at Usher's Ferry in the parsonage, there was this blue autograph quilt, and it was just so pretty. <laughs> I, just, I wish I had one, but I haven't managed to talk anybody into it yet. <laughs> Well, we'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program tonight, Linda. We will have to see. You never know. Maybe we will come up with another reason to have you on, because it's always a great show when you come.
0: Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure.
1: Okay. And we're going to say goodnight to Linda. And I just want to take a minute to remind people uh, to look for new episodes of Trendlebed Tales. It's available on Blog Talk Radio. You can uh, stream it either directly on Blog Talk Radio. I also keep links on my website and my blog. During the actual show, you can call in and listen to it on the, um, on uh, your phone by calling uh, 714-242-5253 or toll-free 877 six, three, three, nine, three, eight, nine. Now those only work while the show is live. So check for the schedule first. You can also use them to call in and ask questions. And after an episode, you can always catch them on iTunes as a a free download. If you have an iTunes account, please say something nice about the, uh, about the show because that's how new people find it. And you're going to find me all the way around the web under the name of Trundle Bed Tales. So we are on, we are most likely on your social favorite social media outlet uh, on Facebook, on Twitter and Flickr and Instagram and Vimeo and YouTube and all over the place. So if you enjoyed what you hear, remember to try again for Trundle Bed Tales and we will be doing, um, I don't have a date for it yet, but here in this, Next week, we'll be doing a looking ahead at Laura, Laura Dum during March 2017. And in the meantime, be sure to brighten the corner where you are. <coughs>